Welcome to today's episode of The Growth Zone. I am Christian Bartsch. What is the core benefit of listening to this show? Business leaders in corporate and privately held companies gain insights into trends and strategies that provide them with a competitive advantage in the marketplace. Each episode focuses on an area such as marketing, sales, innovation or funding. That is absolutely critical to the growth of companies, whether they are startups or corporate global players, where management needs to juggle the challenges of market entry or knowing how to navigate the uncertainties of disruptive developments. Mindfeeding is where clarity evolves and helps solving organizational challenges. For those who listen to the entire episode, I have a special surprise gift. I am working on some great guests that are industry leaders in management, innovation and marketing. Let's get started on today's episode. Today I am with Andy who is based in Texas and our topic today that we are going to be talking about is difference between growth and scaling and why it is important. So before we get deeper into our conversation, Andy, can you please tell us a little bit more about yourself? Yes, good. Hello. So excited to be here and hopefully offer a lot of information and value to the listeners. But uh, my name is Andy Monet, and I have been a management consultant for over 30 years. And I really, my specialty is in optimizing businesses. So it's just, it's a wonderful place um, that can be a frustrating place for a lot of small businesses because you can grow revenue and find that you're growing uh, costs as, just as quickly as your revenue grows and finding solutions to that. Yeah, so then you mean that eventually uh, revenue and growth are growing, but they're not, the, the, the difference isn't growing. So you're not generating actually more profit. Exactly. It's just your more hassle, but yes. uh, there's no improvement really in yes. the overall result. And entrepreneurs, founders, owners, or even investors become frustrated because mm -hmm. there's more, more noise happening, but it's not more coming out actually after the profit margin or maybe even shrinking it could be as well. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, what do you see as a key difference between growth and scaling? You know, oftentimes the small business owners don't, uh, they kind of think those are the same things and they're not. And so growth is a wonderful word. Everybody wants to grow and Growth can be a lot of different things, right? You can grow in revenue, you can grow in customer number of customers, you can grow um, your your client base, like geographically or in different types of industries, and that's great. I mean, growth is a wonderful thing, but scaling is different, and so scaling is much more. Yes, we want your revenue to grow, but it's growing at a higher and even exponentially higher rate than your revenue. And so when you hear a lot of um, information about scaling, 
there's a lot more than just revenue. And with scaling, your profits are now increasing exponentially as well, which you don't necessarily get with growth. So it's really important to understand the difference because if you were, if you can't scale before you're, you're growing, and if you're growing too fast, uh, which there is, I think, um, such a thing, then you're at the point where you could be working 50, 60, 70 hours a week. You could be throwing money at the solutions. You can be, you know, hiring because there's so many hours that you still need to, you need to, you know, give back to the revenue that you're creating, right? How do you continue to service your customers, whether it's a product or a service? So that is when growth can get really out of hand. And one of two things usually happens. Either with some companies, you can almost grow yourself out of business, which happens with high growth companies. And then in a couple of years, they're, they've scaled or even gone out of business. Or you have to find a solution to the, the, what I call the madness of, of high growth companies. So that's when scaling really, really makes a big impact, not only financially, but also really in the hours that you work and in the sanity of the people that work there. Yeah, so then actually the revenue is just uh, growing, but the profits shrinking and uh, yeah, the resources are being burned. Yes. There's no beneficial outcome. Yeah, no, and it's not sustainable. You know, there you, you there's you can only work so many hours in a week. You can only hire so many people to to support the company and the revenue growth. And it's just not it's not a good model. And it's okay to get there. It's just not okay to stay there. That's one of the really I think one of the keys is identifying is this a short term growth phase or is it really a, are, is your business in a place where this is sustainable or the, the growth is sustaining itself for a long period of time and you need a long-term solution to that? Yeah, and uh, yeah, that's and really where most companies that actually suffer or then eventually be, get taken over because maybe people see there's a potential, but they notice that they're obviously doing it the wrong way. Yes. Maybe trying to scale in a red ocean instead of finding a blue ocean yes. where there's maybe um, untapped demand, actually, and people can really even not only generate more revenue, but the profits will be as well much better than in a market where everybody's just cutting each other just by <laughs> cutting prices. Right. Uh, there's no margin left, really. Right. It's it's the the fallacy of make it up and grow in um in volume. <laughs> but if you're if you don't have a profit anyway, your volume is not going to change that profit margin. <laughs> exactly, because usually you'd say, okay, well, if you increase your volume, then of course your um, procurement costs are lower. It's like with when you start a, uh, producing cars. Eventually, if you've got enough cars uh, that you're manufacturing, you can buy the tires cheaper and so on. Or Absolutely. if you do a venture with another car manufacturer, um, then you can double the amount of tires that you're buying and you share, of course, uh, the benefits with the other partner. Um, but if you can't really uh, reduce the costs by scaling and it's just increasing and maybe even the risks the financial risk are even increasing in a way that it's you're not being rewarded for your risk oh absolutely because yeah, you know a lot point? of times and 
people think that, you know, because the, the, the key performance indicators that a lot of company want to share is their revenue growth, right? Or their client mm. growth. And that's, you know, again, I love the word wonderful, it's, but as I mentioned, it's a wonderful thing, but unless you're really, you know, doing a lot more metrics and a lot more analysis, the revenue is just not, not in itself enough to determine whether it's good growth or sustainable growth. And, you know, one of the things that I, you know, I feel like the reason that I'm good at what I do is that when companies, when they grow, they usually have one of three categories that they want to grow in. They want to grow in, or if they're growing so much, they want to grow in revenue or they want to hire people or they want to build a a new or migrate to a new um, system infrastructure or ERP system. And it's usually one of those three typically. But the, you know, consultants will tell you that, or business partners will tell you that, or investors will, you know, if they have input. But really, you if you optimize all three of those at the same time, you're going to be just in an amazing position. And that's really what I do. So I look at the, I look at the people, I look at the system, I look at the operations, I look at the finances, I look at the client base, I look at the costs, um, involved in creating the revenue, and we find out what can we do where we can limit or even reduce a lot of costs. And so, for one example, one small example is one of the healthcare, co- I mean, not healthcare, beauty supply companies, they do cleansers and um, masks and things like that, and they're based in Hong Kong. And the short version of that story is that them, like a lot of other small businesses, think that costs are fixed. And they are to an extent. But what I ended up doing is um, we uh, increased their profit margin 25% almost overnight because we changed the size of a lot of their containers by only one ounce. And the reason that that was so effective is because once you passed a certain level, the freight charges almost double, right? They go up between 25 and 40%. But Mm -hmm. if you didn't look at just freight as being fixed, but looked at, okay, well, where are the thresholds in that freight cost? And if we reduce it by one ounce and it's liquid, so liquids are heavy. Now by reducing it by one ounce, we save 25% just in shipping. That was a decision that as soon as you made it, literally your next order, you've already now created a new profit level. Exactly, and it's less hassle as well with all the things that come because, of course, it's not just only shipping, uh, let's say, from Hong Kong, from the factory to to US or Europe or wherever, but then, of course, it's shipping then as well from the harbor exactly to retail or even if you have a warehouse somewhere and you do like mail order shipping, online sh- uh, sales and so on, um, that ounce can be Oh, quite absolutely, a absolutely. Yeah. Mm. And so why do you think it is so important to really uh, focus on scaling in a way that it's actually uh, sustainable and and, uh, can really generate real growth? Well, I mean, there's that long term sustainability, right? If you if you can't get through a very challenging growth stage, you're just the company won't even be viable anymore after that. But there's also another piece that 
that a lot of um, people really forget, which is, you know, the, the physical, mental, emotional piece to it. Because, you know, as we briefly talked about, you can only work so many long hours per week. And uh, again, it's another small business myth that the more you work, the, the better your company is going to be. And it just, it's not, it's not sustainable, right? You can only work 60, 70, 80 hours a week for very, you know, for limited periods of time. And that, you know, depends on each person, but it's not something that's not good for your physical health. It's not good for your mental health. It's not good if you have a family, like there's other things outside that get affected by the number of hours you work in a week. So I would also, this is just my personal opinion, that I feel like not only working a reasonable amount of hours is generally a healthy thing to do, but I have the opinion that it also can help build, which is not the topic of our conversation, but I think that having a really good, stable work week can also be beneficial for your family because with with work, you you have to be focused, you have to be strategic. And you have to make plans to get there. And if you do all of those things um, based around, in this particular topic, scaling, then you actually are able to accomplish more with your family. You can um, have goals for your children and be able to help support them through their life. But um, And, you know, day to day. But I think that they're very complementary if your, you know, the skills that you use for work can also be great skills for parenting or relationships or, you know, things outside of the, out of work as well. Yeah. And applies as well to the staff that you've got, because if you're just, uh, let's say burning their resources and exhausting them, uh, they'll either quit or have a burnout or any kind of things, or or you even have the worst case, which is for an entrepreneur, the worst case is you have uh, work-related accidents let's say oh, yes. somebody is totally exhausted overtired isn't focused, yes and drives the forklift into let's say one of the shelves and yes. whole, not only the guy gets injured somebody else maybe gets injured you've got the the forklift damage you've got the whole chef plus all the inventory that gets damaged and you say i can't ship the boxes all crushed yes. and so on i have to At repackage yeah, but even just if you think of just having to repackage the parts up, maybe inside they're okay, but the parts that everything is messed up, I think yes. repackaging it, let's say in the US or in Europe, salary costs, uh, it's cheaper to reorder the whole shipment from China um, because the, the, oh, yeah. the wages are much higher in, in the Western society. Absolutely. And the, and so many other things are affected by that. Not only the time it takes to, to redo it, but the time lost for the client, you know, missed opportunities um, mm. with others. And then as well as in the U.S., we have workers comp and that, that's a whole nother insurance craziness. <laughs> so, you know, insurance rates go up and somebody might be not allowed back into the into the workplace and there's evaluations that need to be done depending on the severity of the of the accident and it it just goes on and on and on so yeah i mean the i just there's so many so many benefits to identifying you know extensive growth and then making really strategic decisions on scaling options where you're 
not only affecting the cost and the profit, but the morale. And then with morale comes really hard workers, usually productivity increases and morale goes up. And I mean, there's so many other benefits as well. Exactly. And the quality of service and the products are improved in this way. Yes. Because if somebody calls and has a problem, if the if the customer service guy is messed up, exhausted, tired, frustrated, or whatever, he, he might not be in the best state actually to uh, help the client. And he might be fed yes. up and uh, even let's say let off a huge dispute and the customer starts posting all over the internet that uh, the oh yeah company, reputation the table, absolutely yeah, it's killing the reputation just because uh you you let it's like you create a, a, a snowball you're standing at mm -hmm. the top of the hill and you throw it down of course the snowball will go through your entire company and eventually it uh, reaches your customer base and then absolutely. it all falls apart And, and you know, in addition to that, which just in another way of looking at it as well is that you could grow so much that you start losing clients because either mm. you're not able to fulfill orders or services or you have bad, potentially bad customer service or you're not able to respond well enough or you're not able to onboard new clients in a reasonable amount of time or not able to respond to them as quickly. Like there's It, again, so many um, downfalls to not scaling at the proper time. Exactly, and even if you look, even if you're not shipping products, you're like maybe like a SaaS company who's mm -hmm. uh, producing software uh, that p companies are using or anything of that. And if companies are coming to you and saying, "Hey, I've got here a bug. This and this doesn't work," and after three months you still haven't fixed it because mm -hmm. you're so busy uh, getting new clients and doing other stuff and adding new features, but not fixing the underlying problems, um, yes. it's going to drive people eventually to start thinking maybe. Maybe well, other a options. different product. Exactly. Yeah. And, and move uh, out again. And they might not be even as good as you. And they're still yeah. willing to do it just because either of consistency or stability or response rate. So yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Or you feel or they fear that if this is going this path, then eventually maybe you'll go out of business. So mm -hmm. as long as they can access the data and get it out, they'll start moving. And suddenly it sucks the whole business upside down and then you've lost everything. And that's the thing where you th you have to think, well, how can you really scale properly? Um, and what would you say? What's your recommendation on how to best scale a business in the current situation that we have? You know, one of the things that people often and easily miss is um, streamlining processes and You know, a lot of corporations are known for doing that when at all possible, but you can do it in small businesses as well. And so as a, as a small example, I had a client come to me, um, a new potential client, and he said, hi, I need to re redo my Excel worksheet. And I said, well, I, <laughs> I don't normally redo Excel worksheets. So why don't you tell me about it? And he said, well, you know, it's kind of old. It's about 10 years old. And I just think it's, you know, there's ways it can be revamped and, and maybe streamlined a little bit. And I said, oh, well, that must be why you're calling me. So, you know, tell me how you, how you use it. And he said, well, I, you know, I have people in the field and they put their time, their hours that they worked on their, on their phone in a mobile app. And that data gets uploaded to SharePoint and the SharePoint data is downloaded to Excel, and then the Excel data is transferred to multiple 
you know, depending on how many projects there are, nine to 12 other Excel worksheets. And I said, and what's the purpose of this? And he said, so I can bill my clients. And I said, well, how long does it take you to bill your clients? He says, about three to four weeks. And I uh-huh. said, I am not rebuilding your Excel worksheet. No wonder. <laughs> this sounds very inefficient. It was. And it, well, and Crazy. he, yes, it, I said, no, there's no way. And I said, I, will, I won't rebuild your Excel worksheet, but I will give you another solution. And you can take it or you can leave it. It's, you know, I'm not offended. And he said, okay, well, what's your solution? And we you know, I got rid of the Excel worksheet altogether and I created the data from SharePoint to upload into QuickBooks and just have him bill. And it was a one to two day process. So now with that really, you know, simplified method, he now had three to four weeks a month where he can get new business. And then his one and only bookkeeper could spend time supporting him in business development. And just in one month, he tripled his, his revenue and his costs didn't go up at all. So you can be a small business. You can be a medium sized business. You can be, you know, a big business. My, my biggest client is monster energy drink. And, mm-hmm. and I did this, I do the same thing with them. So I saved them millions and millions and millions of dollars, but all because, you know, one one way to scale is by streamlining processes. But um, you start that process by having a documented process, which sounds a little counterintuitive, but once you can map out everything, that's the first step to finding how you can improve it. Absolutely, and it sounds really very interesting. Um, the fact just that he had such a complicated system, and it must have taken him time. And and when you think of it, even then the customer has then to review the invoice, and and they'll need some time. Yes. Maybe they have a habit, maybe of maybe only paying on one day of the month, and if you miss that date, he has to wait maybe two months for yes. his money. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a cash flow problem. Yeah. And, and exactly. And it was a cash flow problem because he was, you know, you don't want to get in the habit of, you know, financing because you can't get the billing out fast enough so that you don't get paid fast enough. So there was a lot of other issues besides just bringing, you know, taking that long to, to do that. But absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, and there's even a, a legal risk from I know from from other things that uh, even as, if you take too long to bill your client, then uh, a court might even go and say, "Well, you can't expect your client to pay that invoice because it's so far away the time between uh, the getting performed. the service, yes. yeah, the work performed and billing that the client has no way actually realistically to actually make sense of it and see whether it is accurate." or whether you're trying to skim him with an extra exactly. 20%. And he can't, he can't relate it because he hasn't even got a clue. And, and he can, of course, do it as detailed as possible. He has screwed one screw here left and one screw right. But he has no idea whether he actually screwed it or didn't screw it, whether it Absolutely. was had to be. And then I would also yeah. add that um, in certain cases, you could be it could be a detriment to your client because they're not they are not able to budget correctly. They're not able yeah. to manage their cash flow correctly, and you know there's there's again there's other things. There's always 
there's always other things that are affected by small things. I mean, whether yeah. it's inside of your company or with your customers or with your vendors, right? Yeah. I mean, because right. now you can't pay your vendors either. And that's, a, again, the opposite problem. Yeah, and and by billing in that way as well, eventually it creates an annoyance for the client because he has then to explain why the invoice is so late and, and why didn't we know it earlier and we should have had the timesheet long before if it's something where he has to maybe even sign off the timesheet. Oh, they, and they yeah. did, yes. No, they, yeah. they had to be, there were multiple checks on it and yeah. not only internally for billing and it was very comprehensive um, reporting yeah. that went along with the billing and yes, so... Yeah, and you just need some silly mistake inside, and then it's oh my just gosh, those yes. compounds and ooh, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I know. Once, uh, once in one business, we had uh, we had the idea of uh, moving to a CRM system that was made in India, and we sent an offer uh, to the client, and he went uh, not crazy, but he was a bit shocked because it said seventeen million. It was actually. <laughs> It was actually seven thousand, but it got the uh, the oh no the, the thousand the point. <laughs> in the wrong place, and it used the wrong wrong set of it's uh, used for the particular country the wrong set, so it looked right like it, instead of a comma million. It's a, it's a period and then period yeah. for a comma. Uh, yes, at the end there were two zeros, there were three zeros, and. <laughs> Terrible. It might have been working for rupees, but it definitely didn't work. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> in euros or dollars, it just didn't work. It just was uh, appalling. And uh, yeah, we dumped it after, I think, two weeks. We dumped the whole system. It was pointless. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, and then you, yeah. there's the fear that that in certain cases, customers could feel like you del did it deliberately or, or yeah. you know, are you credible? Are you, are you honest? And, you know, all of those things that yeah. if it was an honest mistake, you, you can't, you can't, you can tell them that it was an honest mistake, but if, you know, they have nothing to compare it to, right? Because they, they don't know you yet. Yeah, exactly. And that's why we eventually, uh, after testing many systems, we started building our own system because it was just, it did, even if you went uh, into a shop or bought some software from, from retailer or from a big company, it just didn't fit our needs. So yeah. we built our own system. And, and uh, we have a big client who is a multinational franchise in food. And they came one day to us and said, well, we need one position more in your invoice uh, because there's this and this missing in the invoice and we need it for compliance. So, mm -hmm. okay. Half an hour later, we had it built into our system. Oh, I love set it. the invoice and the customer was happy and they've still with us, uh, even after seven years, they're still with us as a customer. And I love it. I love yeah. it. I love it because you know what? The the thing about, about a business is that, again, not the topic of scaling, but you have to add value, right? Exactly. If you're not providing value and, you're, and gosh forbid, if you don't even share what your value is, which is even worse, that's a whole sales thing by itself. Hmm. You know, why would anybody even want to do business with you? Exactly. And if you become, if you're the amount of pain that you have with a customer or with that company that you're buying from is greater than the value that they're mm -hmm. delivering, it's just not worth doing yeah. business with them. Definitely. Yeah. And, you know, we, I think one of my biggest, um, my biggest personal 
ways to deal with customers is, is, you know, you always have to listen, which is hard for salespeople in general, because they're always want to tell you how wonderful they are. And we can't live without salespeople. So don't get me wrong. I love salespeople, but you know, often the drawback, um, the, the challenge is, okay, well, let's listen to what they want and how you can provide value to them. It's not what your benefits are and how wonderful you are and how great you are and how many clients you are. It's how can your company provide the value that the customer, the potential customer needs to have, right? And a lot of times that piece is missed, which is which always makes me so sad. Yeah, because they, they often forget that it's all about the client. Exactly. Not about your product, your services, or what but actually uh what the client is going to use it for, how can they really benefit from yes. it and how it's going to improve the overall yes. situation. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, that's the crazy thing when you think of it. It's in so many industries, uh, this is a typical thing. And, and when you actually change the game and go on, even if you're dealing with importers and the importers import your products and then they're going giving it to the retailers and retailers are selling it to, let's say, small companies mm -hmm. or to big companies and, and providing maybe even services. If you go and explain to them how they can change the lives of the customers of the end buyer um, then they suddenly become empowered to actually go and adapt that way of selling and they are increasing massively the orders i know from my dad used to do that when he used to travel around the world and he used oh. to give presentations he was from the from the sales managers the only one who had too many orders <laughs> <laughs> and, and his boss complained and said we're not going to talk about you you've got too many orders <laughs> You've overdone it totally, and and then everybody else and you guys, you have too too little. You have to fix this. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, but that's how he traveled around ninety nine countries. Uh, eventually, in his uh, lifetime uh, of his main time of being an export manager, and he that's what he did and enjoyed. That's how he came to uh, travel around Middle East, around Europe, uh, South America, even Asia, many countries, Africa. And yeah, because once suddenly he got this opportunity, found out, hey, wait a minute, this is a magical tool. Everybody else yeah. started coming and they wanted to have as well that he'd come and do this kind of presentation. And suddenly they all were increasing revenue. And that's, that's the thing when you suddenly notice, wait a minute, am I actually just trying to sell them my product? I'm actually trying to empower them exactly to sell the product for me and to create demand. Absolutely. And suddenly, wow, everything scales, and that's the thing. Uh, it's not by like some people used to travel even to to countries and then discuss with the local salespeople the numbers. <laughs> and they expected they really expected to increase sales by discussing the numbers. <laughs> That never works. It, no, it you know work. because you have to. You ha your heart has one way or another. Your heart or your mind, something has to be connected, right? Exactly. And if you don't understand the value, you can't make that connection. I, I mean, I, I, I'm going to mess up this story, because, but um, I heard this story about this Mercedes uh, salesman. And he was always the top salesman everywhere he, you know, for years and like every year for decades. And so the, the, um, I guess it was a franchise, but who knows, but one of the, the managers 
uh, or the CEO or whoever said he wanted somebody to interview him so that they can learn his techniques and, and try to train, you know, do a sales training. And the sales, the interviewer said, you know, hey, I'm here to interview you. And he says, well, what's your technique? And he says, well, I don't have one. <laughs> He's like, well, <laughs> you, you can't not have a technique. You're the bestseller for who knows how many, 20 years. He's like, well, why don't you come with me on a, you know, on a test drive with a, and with a customer? So very long, you know, kind of long story short, the, the punchline was that he never actually sold the vehicle. Like he just said, you know, why are you interested in the Mercedes? And, and they would tell him, they're like, well, you know, my dad had one and, you know, he's not here anymore and just really reminds me of him. Or they, they would literally just sell themselves and he would go, you know, and even with, with, with um, disputes, not disputes, but objections. And they'd mm-hmm. say, well, it's a little bit too expensive for me. And he goes, yeah, we are a little bit more expensive. <laughs> like he didn't, you know, finagle. He was just honest. Said, yeah, we're, we're a little bit more expensive. But, you know, if this is what you want because of this reason, then that decision's up to you. And everybody would buy from him. But I love that story because you, you're – the value that he was providing was actually just mirroring the value that the customer had already had coming in. Yeah, and he, he was actually helping them make the, make up the mind. Okay. Whether and and the important thing I see as well from your example is that the, actually later on when the customer went out, he didn't suddenly suffer buyer's remorse because exactly. he knew that was exactly was solving his problem. That was the desired thing. The thing that he really really wanted to have and then he i'm sure he must have been looking forward to getting the car delivered and then sitting in his brand new car driving out of the showroom and then taking his family on the journey and enjoying the time and every time when friends come and say oh you've got a new mercedes yeah that's, mm-hmm. yeah it's exactly. crazy yeah yeah and that's the crazy thing uh, it's a funny thing because you talk of cars because I did when I left school I did first a business training with BMW and it took me a, more than 15 years to convince my dad to switch from Audi to BMW <laughs> and the funny thing is I remember him sitting with all this uh, stuff he could choose for Audi and he was ticking off no i don't want this extra i don't want this extra not this extra no 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 cutting the cost cutting the cost and later on when he had the bmw i said what's this feature oh this wasn't a package and what's this <laughs> that wasn't another package yeah and i got them that package and and this and this and i thought this sales guy has been absolutely sold and why because in the first attempt they nearly messed it up they they sent them off with a test car with the worst seats you could put somebody in. Which oh, was, my goodness. And they would have lost the business <laughs> just because they convinced them actually to give it a second chance and try a different car. He tried then as well the same car that I have, and he then actually, uh, they decided to buy it. My mother was so, loved it so much, she went once they came back with the car, she went straight to the upholstery and, and to the color and everything, and she started selecting the stuff. <laughs> Yeah, I love it, and that's the crazy thing of it. She she doesn't like very much driving with him uh, oh. because, of course, after a certain age, she gets certain kind of habits that are not exactly always pleasant uh, driving with them. But uh, nevertheless, um, she liked the car. 
But the other one, oh, no, the terrible car, the seats are appalling and, and you don't feel really safe. And that's the thing. Uh, even if you're in the first stage and we went to test a car last year, we did a tested a car mm-hmm. and the sales guy didn't make any effort in to find out whether we are on the right product. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, later on, I'm looking at it and thought, hmm, it's a bit small. I looked at the different size of the car, but... The guy wasn't even making an attempt to actually try to maybe find out if he could actually sell us the other car and he would have sold it. Instead, now we just test drive a different car from a different brand and we are already more or less uh, configured this new, uh, what do you call it, facelift. Mm-hmm. The car has been given now a facelift, so it's going to be uh, the next version that's being delivered from, I think, from November or so to Europe. Um it's got a few nice extras. Price went up by $400, but it's not a big deal. So um, you notice then, of course, the difference between a sales guy that makes an effort to get the sale and someone who is obviously demotivated, whether it's by the brand or by training, organization, whatever. There must be a reason why the person isn't motivated to even try to get the deal. Sometimes I find that they're just not even, well, it, and you know, sometimes there's, there's, you know, I want to say personal things going on, but sometimes they just mm-hmm. are never trained to even have, learn how to have a conversation with someone. Yeah. And know? they should even at least have some kind of inner motivation that they want to make more money and, and find out how can I make more money. And right. even if they see some other brand who's selling there must be a way to crack this nut Mm -hmm. and if they just don't bother then think why are they doing this job because it's pointless and there's so much there out there that you can do in training uh whether you do it online whether you go to a oh absolutely so many providers whether it's closing the deals or how do i have a conversation or or, or dealing with objections or reading body language or asking open-ended questions and yeah. you know that that is a one of the points I think is really important to to business ownership um, specifically is the mentality that um, the mindset right I mean I feel like if you want to do this you'll find a way and it, you know you can't you have to be accountable for yourself you can't have a victim mentality or you know, I can't succeed because of somebody else or because of the industry or because of COVID, because there's a lot of success that that can be had if you're willing to not what I call stir your bucket of mud, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. um yeah. and and if you're if you're really in a growth mindset and strong in that, oh my goodness, the world is just opens up completely. I mean, and this goes for scaling as well, not just revenue, but hey, how do I cut my costs? I don't know. I don't know the answers. I don't know what to do about it. I don't know, you know, even, you know, what's the first step I can take. But if you're determined enough, you know, and you're going to do it on your own or you get a consultant or get a reference or whatever, there's a way to do it. Exactly. And if you, you can't scale, if you can't sell more. Exactly. That's the key thing. You have Absolutely. to sell it. Maybe you, maybe you cut some costs away that you don't really need and add something on top that actually will make it easier to close. Just a simple example. Um, for instance, some companies um, let you test drive a car. They give you the car for one hour. 
they maybe send you with a sales guy with you, but uh, the sales guy can't close you. But another company, um, I've experienced that, especially in an automotive, um, they give you the car, they invite you even on an excursion, you get lunch, you get, you've got a bottle of water in the car sitting ready, and so on. <laughs> That's where they really value you. They value the customer. Absolutely. Or if they invite you to a, a coffee or to a snack or something. It's crazy when you see how much effort some do and how little some just don't even manage to bother. And it's it's about building value and, and creating that. You are valued. You're an important customer for me. And it doesn't matter whether you're buying a small car or you're buying a big car because Let's say let's say I want to buy for my daughter a car, mm -hmm. and I say okay, she'll be once she'll be eighteen. She doesn't need to have the biggest. She has to first learn to drive, right. get experience. Exactly. I get a small car, mm -hmm. but of course, maybe I'm trying to get a cheap car, or maybe I'm thinking, well, but I don't. I want to be safe enough that even if she does have an accident, uh, she won't get hurt. Mm -hmm. Because of course, if you the smaller car, the less space for safety. Exactly. Yeah, but. Um, even if I go, let's say, to some other brand that I don't usually buy from, and the guy sells me this car with with a good value, good effort, and so on, maybe I might even consider buying more of his cars for my company. And oh, absolutely. That, yeah, and it doesn't mean that I want to drive that car, but maybe I buy from him 10 cars for the service department. Hey, that's for him a big, huge paycheck that he gets from his boss. Oh, absolutely. Then. I yeah, mean, I think because, that part of it is, yeah. is, you know, like you said, the value, but also, you know, you care about them, right? You care about, yeah. you know, if they get what they want and their experience and to have people feel like they're appreciated or wanted or special, right? That's part of, I mean, not in a fake, creepy way, obviously, but no, in a genuine but interested way yes exactly yeah. yeah and you build a relationship and and these people are then so happy that they'll tell others hey you must go to frank or uh to charlotte or whoever and talk to her she'll help you get the right find the right car and so on that's a perfect thing and they, they take time they know this stuff and everybody says then i must go and definitely and if they go there it says eh, no no she's not there today then i come the other day Absolutely. And they make the extra effort to talk to that particular person because they don't want to talk with somebody who just wants to take the, money, the business away from this colleague, but being lazy because mm -hmm. he doesn't make any effort on building business and trying to, <laughs> let's say, shuffle something under your foot before yes. you know it. And you think, what's this? I didn't want to have this. I don't even need it. Yes. Yeah. Or giving you like, something that you don't want. And, you know, yeah. some of one of the things which is unfortunate that I've seen also is some salesmen get upset when you say no. And that doesn't help you at all. <laughs> yeah, because it actually means I don't know it all. So he has to find out what's the problem, what's behind it. He has to ask, what's holding you back? What's in your mind? Mm -hmm. Tell me, and then I can find out what's the problem. And that's the thing. Uh, sometimes people just say no because maybe they're confused. There's something going on in their yes. mind and thinks, oh, if I do this, it'll break down yes. and so on. So obviously I need to know. It's just that you, it's easier for you. <laughs> and then you get this advantage and you think, oh, That's a no-brainer. Let's and, buy it. Yes, and some objections aren't even really objections. They're just, yeah. you know, concerns. Confusion. 
confusion exactly they they don't have the enough information to make the choice that would help them and i think exactly. that's the same any you know in any industry right like mm-hmm. i can say hey i can help you scale your business and if you don't know what scaling is why would you want to hire me right <laughs> exactly exactly and the thing that's why because when you've cut the cost and then the guy says oh, okay i've cut the cost but i still can't scale something is wrong here then you maybe have to say okay let's test drive your sales engine and see whether you're doing something wrong because maybe you're handing people something that costs you money and it's worthless because the customer leaves the, off, the, the shop and throws it in the next bin. This mm-hmm. is what am I supposed to do with this garbage? Yeah, y- yes. like giving them some cheap gift and I think, what am I supposed to do with this? I don't even smoke or something like that. Exactly. <laughs> Instead, or- if, yeah, for instance, I got once many years ago, I got from a service company a, uh, what do you call it, a multifunctional tool that you can use to open a bottle, to open a wine bottle and other kind of stuff. That thing is still existing with me. It's useful. <laughs> but uh, some kind of thing like a, like nowadays a pen or, or a simple bottle opener, it's got no value. I've got so many of those. I lose them. I throw them away, whatever. Yeah. Oh, no. That's so very, thing. very It true. has to be relevant. Very much so. And, you yeah. know, not a, relevancy, oh my goodness, is, is so important. But, you know, in addition to the revel, relevancy is, is the, is also, it's, a, it's similar, but the applicability, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, you could, let's say, like my daughter's in her 20s and she went to buy her, her own, paying with her own money, her first car ever. And I was so proud of her, but that's a, that's a, that's another topic. But anyway, she, (laughs) she went and I went with her and they kept telling her all the things she's not, that aren't relevant to her, right. Aren't applicable to her. And, and she was like, I don't want to buy the car. And I said, that's up to you. It's your money. But I think that what he's saying is just not the correct information. And So, you know, I told her all of the questions that I knew she wanted to know and how, you know, because it was, it was an SUV, it was a little mini SUV and it had, it had four wheel drive and she wanted to go up to the mountains and he never talked about any of that because he never asked her. So she ended up buying the car, but again, you, you know, how do you expect her to say yes when the information you're giving her is even relevant to her and her life and her lifestyle? Yeah, and he doesn't make it understandable for that. She noticed, okay, when I'm going with four-wheel drive, it is easier to drive up. If I get somewhere stuck, mm-hmm. it's easier. Try with a front wheel or back wheel to get stuck from a hole that's uh, bigger than your tires. Uh, you need a shovel if you're yes, on, exactly. <laughs> somewhere and to, in the and another person. Or, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Two person. I know that from we lived in South America and, and we. The, they used to be beaches like kilometers, nobody there. And you had these little <laughs> waves. And when you stuck with your Volkswagen bus um, stuck in it, then my dad had to take out his shovel, fold mm-hmm. it up and start um, shoveling somehow and finding all sorts of stuff to somehow get but the car unstuck. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And of course, I was a small kid, so I couldn't help him. That was something he had to fix himself. And my mother helped him as well, of course, as much as possible. But he's still had to figure out how do I get the car out mm-hmm. and uh, that's something where if he'd had a four-wheel drive it might have been easier um, 
but that's of course something that he has to explain to her and, and maybe figure out as well maybe uh, what's important to her as well because if she's taking a let's say a tent or something with her uh, there are tents that are very small and the tents that are very big and some mm -hmm. she that's might right. not even get into the car where it says oh then I need foldable seats oh right. now makes sense exactly yeah exactly. I mean he was talking yeah. about the sunroof and the air conditioning <laughs> and she's like Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's nice, but I usually <laughs> drive with a window. Uh, yeah, we can air condition the back. Uh, then my dog gets a cold. Um, okay. <laughs> but you do need foldable seats. <laughs> Otherwise, the dog has no space. Exactly. Yeah, but he's a poodle. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. Yeah, but that's the thing uh, which is so important, for, I think, especially as you said, when you're trying to help these companies to find out how they can scale, scaling goes in all directions to fix the thing and then really make space to scale. Uh, Absolutely. Thing. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, because otherwise they can't move back and forth. You need to be moving on the scale. Um, so it was great and fun as well having you here on the show. And Uh, before we end the show, how can people get in contact with you if they want to connect with you or find out more? Yeah, absolutely. It was such a pleasure talking with you. Uh, the, the, the easiest way is my email, which is andy mm -hmm. at ssd-intl.com. But I'm also on Instagram, which is andy.monet mm -hmm. underscore ssd. And I, you know, I love questions. I love DMs. I love, hey, what do you think about this? Because, you know, sometimes you just have to ask and get steered in a little bit in the right direction or, you know, provide just a little bit of help to, to help people out. It doesn't always have to be consulting. It can be, you know, just a friend saying, what do you think about this? You know, I'm happy to have those conversations. But I also have um, monthly free webinars uh, at, at, um, www.andiesfreegift.com. So Andes is A-N-D-I-E-S, no apostrophe. And so I always try to give out growth and scaling um, suggestions and information and tools and templates because there's always little pieces that you can learn along the way before, you know, you're ready to actually have somebody help you, right? But um, yeah. I, I really, you know, building our – building – You know, my personal opinion is that, you know, as we give back, we help our communities and we help our economies and we help the world just interact together better when we're able to give our information freely. I mean, obviously, there's the consulting piece, but I just think that just having a resource to go and, and get information is so important in, in the world today. Yeah, absolutely. And, and people need to understand as well the why and how it really relates uh, to their individual situation. And then they can, they've got the information, it just needs to be assembled in the right, right. structure, right order. Exactly. And then suddenly they press all the buttons and it lights up and you've got a nice Christmas tree. Yes. The I customers are buying all the parcels that, they've, that you've placed for them under the Christmas tree. And that's where it really then makes the nice that's when you look uh, forward to waking time. up and walking into the into your business you know you you exactly. feel like like this is this is it this is why i do what i do 
Exactly. And that's how then people actually really can scale and add more business. Or even if it means as well opening new shops in other locations, but in a way that it really can scale and um, not only generate more revenue, but it, it benefits as well community by creating more jobs. Absolutely. Uh, and you're creating jobs as well at the supplier side because they are selling to you more stuff. So they need more stuff, more people. And their suppliers grow as well. It's a chain. Absolutely. Definitely a chain yeah. reaction. Exactly. And we then all of take course, a part in that. Exactly. And that's the thing. It's, it's a food of chain that grows over time and creates a benefit for multiple societies. And it's better than just staying put and saying, I don't want to grow. Uh, I need to grow because if I don't grow, I'll shrink. And that's reality in many ways. Very mm. true. And I think that as as just one last note is that as as you become financially successful, you can also give so much more back to the community as well. Not just not necessarily like not like donations or contributions, but in the sense of, of jobs and and good leadership and and just good morale and good integrity and, you know, making the economies around the world prosper even better than without you if you do a good job. Yeah, and and your mindset changes as well. Like recently, I was with my family out, and uh, I saw so many people just passing by a beggar, and they they didn't give him anything, and he was absolutely dis, uh, mm. not disappointed, but he you could see that he um, was frustrated that nobody was willing to give him a coin or anything that he could buy himself some food. And I passed by, and I thought I'll give him something on the way back, and I gave him something. I was the only one who gave him something, and I thought. It doesn't hurt me. I'm not. I'm not poorer because of that. And um, it's important as well as well for the children to see and to understand um, that we are responsible not only for the people who we do business with, the people who we hire, whether they are on our payroll or contractors. Um, what we do, we always influence others. Absolutely. And even if we produce products, if our produce our products, uh, let's say. Um, hurt the environment eventually it'll hurt us as well oh absolutely yeah absolutely excellently and that's the thing that we see we have to have a different mindset and when we generate more revenue we can be more generous and we have less on our mind that's wasting our energy on things that are not helping us and others yeah it was great talking to you and i'm sure in the future we'll be talking again on similar topics of growth and scaling. Yes, I'm looking forward to it. Thank you so much for having me. I'm hoping that that whoever hears this can find some in, you know, find insight and value and information and and I'm looking forward to to reaching out to people who connect with me.
I hope you enjoy today's episode of The Growth Zone with Christian Barge. Thank you for listening. Please leave a review or rating here on iTunes or on podchaser.com. If you found the content helpful, then share it on social media. I would like to invite you to follow our show so that you don't miss the upcoming interviews with leaders in the market. Simply visit the website follow.prmediareach.com. I will be adding the link also to the description of this episode so that you just need to click on that link. For those of you who are listening and signing up to follow the show, I have reserved a free copy of the ultimate guide on content marketing. This is the strategy that got me top corporate clients like McDonald's, Linde, Hewlett-Packard, Deutsche Bank, Volvo and many others. That strategy has been working for over 10 years. It also got me contracts with police, transport authorities, military and several universities and even leading research institutes. For sure, it also worked wonders as it got me many small, medium-sized entrepreneurs and enterprises as clients. And that even included international clients from all around the world. The link to sign up for our free broadcasting service and the guide is follow.prmediareach.com. That will give you access to the most recent version of my ultimate guide on content marketing. You can follow me as well on Twitter by using the Twitter handle CAPBarge. That's spelled Charlie Alpha Papa Bravo Alpha Romeo Tango Sierra Charlie Hotel. Yes, that is CAPBarge. Charlie, Alpha, Papa, Bravo, Alpha, Romeo, Tango, Sierra, Charlie, Hotel.